Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Mike Force Podcast. Let's talk about some of our sponsors. If you guys were tracking our social media, um, at Phil Kraus Survival or my personal, at Mike.A.Glover, we did a September 11th Memorial Fund Ruck where we raise money for Black Rebel Coffee's uh, fund that helps veterans who have lost extremities in war, uh, whether it's helping them with experiences like archery, getting outdoors, or prosthetics. Um, Evan's really involved in that. It was cool to raise money for that event because BRCC does so much for everybody else. We wanted to pull back into um, the fund to help other people. And when we did that, we brought 60 people together. It was a real small form factor thing. Broke bread together, did a raffle, and even raised an additional $1,500 for the Green Beret Foundation, which was awesome. I tried out the tactical short on that ruck. I'd just gotten back from Idaho. My feet were hurting. My legs were hurting. But I'm a big kind of gear guy, clothing and gear. Um, I believe in, you know, I learned this from my mom, but if you buy the right equipment the first time, maybe it's more expensive, you'll obviously not have to get it again. You buy the crap, and then you're going to have to repeat and just keep buying crap. So when it comes to shorts, when it comes to jackets, kit, equipment, I want to get the right stuff the first time. And I tried the 7-inch tactical short. Uh, It was developed and tested by Special Operations, which I think is cool. Whether it's rucking, swimming, lifting, whatever it is, um, the tactical short has the liner in it. But I've noticed that the company 10,000 has been paying attention to the details. I want the right equipment the right the first time. So if you go to uh, 10,000.cc, that's 10,000 spelled out, .cc, not .com, but .cc, and enter code MIKEFORCE, you'll get 15% off your purchase. That is 10,000.cc, and enter the code MIKEFORCE to save. I mean, the, the heart of 10,000 is stoic dedication to continuous improvement, and they're always evolving, getting better than yesterday. I'm a big fan. Uh, I wear their uh, shirts, their shorts, um, and looking into more of their gear because it's good for all the things for outdoor activity, working out, and the list goes on. So let's also talk about Element. Look, I talk about Element constantly because I need Element, which is a supplement for electrolytes and sodium because I eat a whole foods diet. If you eat crap, you're going to get all the preservatives, but also all the sodium to keep you topped off with the electrolytes. That's problematic. If you eat whole foods, which is a better way of eating a clean diet, you need to supplement uh, your ability to eat clean. So if you go to drinkelementlmnt.com forward slash Mike Forge, you can get a free eight sample pack. All you have to do is pay for shipping, which is five bucks, but you'll be able to try out. I like the raspberry salt. That's one of my favorites. It's weird because when you try it for the first time, it will be salty, but your body craves that. You need those important electrolytes. You need that sodium. You need that potassium. And Element is full of it. Drink Element, L-M-N-T, Lima Mike, November Tango.com forward slash Mike Force. Guys, we talked today about the ongoing circumstance in Afghanistan. I, I did a solo podcast. I wanted to give you an update on my situation where I'm trying to get one of my personal friends and allies that I served with in Afghanistan. I actually made this guy the commander of my Afghan special forces unit. And now I have an obligation to get him out and I'm not stopping. Last podcast, I interviewed Kenny from 
Phil Craft Frontier and the one before that, which I encourage you to check both of those out, I interviewed Chad Robichaud about Saber Ally. So it ties into that, gives you my perspective on what you should be doing and thinking about uh, leaning forward in this seemingly bizarre world that we're living in. And that, that's saying it nicely. Um, but yeah, here we go. Hey, what's going on, guys? So, man, I've been going through this recently. This whole debacle with Afghanistan has changed for me. Um, on my social, Mike.a.glover on Instagram, I kind of talked about this. But um, up until this last weekend, I didn't have a deep understanding of what was going on in Afghanistan because I was listening to the NGO, nonprofit, government, military world of this unfolding. But of recent, I got notification from one of my guys from Afghanistan who is a former Afghan commando, commander, interpreter, one of the guys that needs to get out. And while all of this was taking place, he was busy trying to survive which is why he didn't reach out to me before. But, you know, this is weeks after the American forces pulled out. If you listen to the uh, couple podcasts ago before Kenny, I interviewed Chad Robichaud, who runs an organization called SaveOurAllies.org. And Save Our Allies, their objective is to, um, well, they've already uh, rescued a lot of people, almost 9,000 um, where they move them to the UAE, United Arab Emirates. But the game has changed. So in that podcast, if you, if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go there because he talks about specifically the ability for host nations that we have relationship, relationships with, including the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, who's been a partner with us in the global war on terror, the fight against terrorism. They were briefed. And they agreed to facilitating us helping. And Chad and his team did that. It wasn't a State Department rep. It wasn't a mill rep. It wasn't a government rep. It was Chad Robichaud and his band of brothers coming together, utilizing their network and their skill sets to go into a country, give an organized brief and plan of action to get Afghan and American citizens out of the country. And that's what they did. Chad was motivated, obviously, by his interpersonal, long-founded relationships with Afghan partners that he's worked with with military organizations that have saved his life. And they did that, but then 31 August came, and we completely unplugged. We didn't have a timeline where we said, hey, we are pulling out when we get everybody out. We said, we're getting out 31 August, and if you're left behind, you're just left behind. So after getting notified by one of my Afghan guys and going through, man, I, I probably have 40 hours right now in the last few days of conversations, of signal chats, text messages, of trying to navigate this crazy world that I'm living in. Uh, one thing I'll say, if, if it wasn't for the talented uh, and passionate 
human beings of this country that have served um, most often in the military and special operations, most often, but also government organizations, uh, NGOs, nonprofits, then the people of Afghanistan, including the men who have worked with us, the partners, the women and the children that are now disaffected, who are going to become sex slaves and trafficked into um, slavery under the Taliban, under ISIS-K, under uh, the Haqqani network, then we would have no legs to stand on. I mean, you're talking about people who have served this country, who have ties to Afghanistan, some with no ties, just because they're Americans, they're going out of their way in the private sector to make this happen. Without this, those people would have no chance. Uh, I talked to Tim Kennedy yesterday. Um, Tim's a member of SaveOurAllies.org, and he expressed to me the same concern where you have all these organizations who want to do right, but many of them aren't really doing much because of the limitations they're operating under. And I, you know, I, and I can't speak to that because I don't know the intimacy um, in which these organizations are actually tangibly making effect, effective change. Like, are they really getting people out or are they not? Um, that's an assumption on my part. There are some organizations that are, and there are some that aren't based on the information that I've been given. But he had conversations with the military where the military said, we are no longer in this anymore. It's up to you. The State Department has said the same. And the administration, via their uh, liaisons, have expressed the same. So if you're an Afghan partner and you were left behind, the only hope you have of getting out is through a nonprofit, a non-government organization, uh, the private sector, um, and a philanthropic expedition to get these people out. So I'm, I'm on that train. I mean, I've been, it's, it, one, it's amazing to see what you could do with a cell phone, with a couple apps, with a network of responsible and caring human beings that want to get this done. But it also, on the other side, the flip side of that, it's so, um, it's so frustrating to know that our government, with all its capabilities, with all the power that we have in the world, has completely hung up um, and hung out Afghan partners and American citizens out to dry. Uh, that, that's what bums me out the most. I don't really understand how we could do something so egregious, so neglectful, uh, including putting American service members in harm's way where the largest casualties of the war since 2011 was in bad tactics and bad strategy that led to those uh, service members' deaths. 13 Americans, 11 Marines, a Navy corpsman, an Army psychological operations soldier, an Army soldier. How that's just been digested in the news cycle and we're back to the COVID thing is bizarre world to me. It feels like an episode of Black Mirror. Uh, upside down world. I just don't get it. So 
there's been a whole bunch of different conversations about holding people responsible, but no legislators, no congressmen or women or senators have stepped up and asked for people to resign that I've seen or asked for people to be held accountable. Look, if you're a, if you're a small unit leader in a military organization and you go out and you make a mistake, it's likely that the heads of chains of command of that element are going to get fried over that mistake because we don't accept mistakes, especially when it involves American lives, let alone the lives of others, but especially American lives. So generals can make gross military errors with no recourse, no resignations, Nobody really even holding them accountable and saying that we need their resignations. Again, bizarre world. When I was in the military, uh, I had an instance where we were doing a joint exercise and we were preparing for this lead up for this operation that we were doing real world. And we started our training cycle. And I believe the way it went down is my warrant officer emailed so I had the document loaded, but he emailed it to my team leader, uh, the captain on my team, and that got flagged in the Army system, the AKO military.mil system. And it was a blank PowerPoint presentation, like blank, but it had the word secret in the format of the document. There was nothing secret about it. It's just the format was secret. I remember coming back from a training exercise and then I had a captain, which are typically put in charge of um, leading 15-6 investigations, where they interviewed me and this dude was acting like I murdered somebody. And I'm like, you realize captain, who you know, a, a captain is a, a very young person in the US military in the first place and he's talking to a senior E8, which I was at the time, and saying, um, you do realize the seriousness, what could potentially happen here, Master Sergeant Glover? You know, you could lose your clearance. You could, use, you could lose your job because if I don't have a clearance, I don't have a job. And I was like, head cocked to the side. You have to be kidding me, right? Are you, are you joking? It's a blank PowerPoint. That investigation lasted six months. I couldn't check my classified email. I deployed, went downrange, and while downrange, we still weren't able to check our classified emails because we were still under investigation in air quotes. And it come, come to find out after everything was done, oh yeah, um, Mike and the chief, they, they didn't do anything wrong. But we're going to do a remedial training, which I never did. It was a check the block thing saying, just sign this to say that you did remedial training and now you know better. And then the security officer, the SSO or whatever security manager at the time was uh, allowing us to continue to have access. And it was unfathomable to me that the military would waste its time, my time, its time, in investigating something that was completely uncalled for. So that's, that's the glimpse of what regular army and special operations guys, tactical guys, have to deal with on a constant basis. And I have a dozen of those stories, by the way, of the military trying to go after guys um, in my community 
for the dumbest stuff on the planet. Yet you could be a general, execute poor strategy and tactical battle plans, get dozens of people killed, leave Afghan partners and American citizens behind, and what, what is seemingly the largest hostage rescue that we'll have to uh, conduct at a latter time because of the incompetency of military leaders and political leaders, and there's no recourse. There's no investigation. There's nothing. It's just like back to work. Let, let's focus on the other things at hand. Are you, are you kidding me? This can't be real. I think it's comical that uh, a lot of people, even now, are even questioning this idea of preparedness. I, I saw this post and somebody was talking about, um, actually it was on a, com- on a comment on one of my posts and said it's, it's kind of pointless plan, you know, for people to plan for the apocalypse because, and he had his opinions on what would take place at the end of days. I'm not planning for revelation. I'm not planning for apocalypse, for the zombie, for the pandemic. I'm planning for right now of what's taking place. Preparedness is not planning for the apocalypse. Preparedness is training and planning and having contingencies for the now. So one thing I want to make clear is I don't want you to plan for the statistical improbability because it's not likely that you're going to face an EMP that leads to zombies. Um, it's, not, it's not realistic that you'll even be looking at a federal overthrow of the government, a civil war, and all these things that people want. So I want you to prepare for you taking care of you, your family, and your community without the dependence on any institution. I don't care if it's Walmart. Like I don't want you, I don't want you dependent on a supply chain or a system or an organization that if it fails, it leads to the detriment of your existence on this planet. So all of my ideas derive from a place where we used to be, where our focus was on each other, where we didn't have systems or institutions or business in place to take care of us because we had to do it ourselves. Whether it was our founding fathers fighting against the Redcoats, whether it was our thinking outside the box and fighting in World War II, the pioneers pushing west in Indian territory, whatever that means to you, there was a time and a place a short period of time ago where we had to do things on our own where we didn't have automated existence, where we weren't glued and tethered to our cell phones. So preparedness to me is not contingencies related to apocalyptic events. It's, do you have the ability to stop the bleed on your person, your family, your friends, or a fellow citizen? Do you have the understanding of what happens when the electricity goes out for an indefinite period of time? How are you going to boil water, cook food, retain cold storage, sustain food and water supplies for an extended period of time? Because if you're not thinking about it and you're not implementing change in this idea of self-reliance, 
then you're literally day by day setting yourself up for failure. But that's what the system wants. Do you think the central government wants you to be more independent? They want you reliant on the system because you're taking the government cheese and you're getting the government check and you live in the subsidies and the, and the projects or in the subsidized housing, then they own you. Like, why go to work when you're getting paid more by the government who's subsidizing your existence? As long as they get your vote, they're okay with that. And they're likely to get your vote because why would you give that up? Why would you give up waking up and not having to do anything and getting paid to do it? Which is the driving factor of, I guess, the potential end of our existence, by the way. That culture shift in dependence, which is socialism, mixed in with a little bit of communism, is the reason that we would fall apart. The reason that we would not make it as a society. When you start allocating all of your dependency into one system, putting your eggs in one basket, it only takes one major trip for all those eggs to smash and break and end everything you've worked so hard for. It's about diversification. You can't adapt when you're pulling all your resources in one place, when you're not diversified. Diversification is adaptation. So you need to be disconnected or capable of being off-grid. You need the food and the water supply. You need the understanding of augmentation of hunting and creating and growing your own foods. You need to do that for the long haul, by the way. You need to have an understanding of your own security and defending yourself because you are your own first response. We've already seen this transpire over the last two years. When, when BLM and Antifa was a thing, because the media was driving it to be a thing, we were accepting that violence and riots and completely disobeying law and order was okay. It was all right if you, if you did that, if you burned buildings down on behalf of a cause that was tied to the BLM movement, even if your business was black-owned, that was okay. So. All of these things we've seen be tested in our society. The catastrophic event that's bound to happen is the more dependency leads to more pulling, putting more eggs in that one basket, and then when it fractures and all falls apart, so does society. So does your freedom. I, I don't like, look, I, I, I'm not a fan of government entities large-scale institutions that aren't diversified because you are literally taking away your ability to adapt, react, and be flexible in the worst-case scenario. So preparedness isn't just this idea of I'm prepping for the apocalypse. It's the idea that I'm prepping for tomorrow or maybe even today. There was a story that was out. Somebody asked me to talk about it, about this General Milley who supposedly, and I haven't seen all of the information on it, messaged a Chinese official about giving him warning to, if we attacked, I would, I would give you the heads up. Um, what? I mean, I can't even fathom that, but somebody asked me to give me my opinion on it. Well, the opinion is it's called treason. 
Look, I, 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 in my own understanding of my role in war, especially in tactical and strategic campaigns against terrorism called counterterrorism, that there were certain parts of the legal framework that I needed to understand, specifically rules of engagement, uh, specifically foreign intelligence services. Every country has a foreign service of some kind that specializes in its own intelligence and information. Like spy games have been played since the beginning of time because that's how we stay ahead. So this idea that a general who sat right seat ride with the president of the United States would contact a Chinese official to give him the heads up that if anything happened, he would have the early warning to that event happening is completely and utterly insane. Imagine if that was a private or a sergeant, a Bergdahl, you know, in, the, in any unit within the U.S. Armed Forces, that person would be spending the rest of their life in prison. And I would expect that if it was a general, that would hold even a higher rate of punishment um, and the acceleration of the trial and the acceleration of the, of the expedient removal of that person from their position and then, and then doing a full-scale investigation and a trial uh, under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Again, a bizarre world that we live in because we expect soldiers, young soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen to uphold the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the Geneva Convention, and all of these things that we hold in high regard under ethics and values of the U.S. service member. Yet we're allowing generals just to do whatever the hell they want. I want to know where Scott Miller is. Where is Austin Scott Miller? Where's General Miller at? Is anybody else wondering that? General Miller was the head of all armed forces in Afghanistan up until I believe it was May or June where he did a handover ceremony and then he's ghosted. I Googled it and apparently he's retiring, but where the hell is he? When I was in Yusasak, he was my commander and one of the highly, most highly respected commanders in the military and special operations and still is, but I wonder where, where's a guy like Scott Miller at? Where, where is any of the generals at calling for the removal of General Milley? And I don't know the details, but based on what I've read through reliable news sources, that seems to be like a true story. I can't confirm it, but if it's, if it's my opinion that if that's true, he should be held accountable. But again, we live in a bizarre world, man, where nothing is what it seems. We talk about uh, this COVID-19 mandate. In maybe a, about a week ago, in a speech, President Biden said that any company over 100 employees will have a federal mandate to have to immunize everybody in the company with more than 100 employees. Oh my gosh, man. I don't even know how. To, I, I just, it, it just frustrates me saying out loud. Here, let me explain how this works. The idea behind this would be if the entire country was immunized, 
then we would be looking at a better situation and it would reduce the overall rates of infection and death, morbidity and death, because if we're all immune because of the immunization, then we all be good. So there's a couple of things that I don't buy into. One, am I anti-vaccine? No, I've taken a lot of vaccines and I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm also somebody who's a steward of common sense and logic. So you have a vaccine that through an emergency process was whipped up and different companies took on these different challenges, Pfizer, Johnson, Johnson, et cetera. And it didn't have FDA approval, but because of the clause and because of the time constraint and severity of the circumstance, a lot of those loopholes or those, or those gates found loopholes. I am somebody who's been who's contracted COVID, who's gotten over COVID, and who has the antibodies to COVID. Most medical professionals will tell you if you already had COVID and you're in a window, which is now not known or determined because there's not enough data to to track it, that somehow taking the immunization on top of testing positive is unnecessary. That would be like getting the flu, getting over the flu, and then taking the flu shot. Well, you just had the flu. I just had COVID. So now when you look at certain vaccines, you need a booster shot now. The determination by the CDC is you're going to have to have a booster because it wanes. It, it, it loses its strength over time. And there's different COVID variants based on the virus adapting, which, by the way, is science from, all, from everything I've read. And by... And let me first express that I'm not an expert at this, but again, applying common sense, viruses adapt and change and vary in order to survive, but that's normal. That, that's what happens. Oh, there's a new Delta variant. Well, there's many variants of many viruses because that's how it works. It adapts to that change. So when you look at the current death rate based on everything I've read, and every, every doctor that I've paid attention to, including the CDC, has shown that despite the fact that a lot of people are becoming infected with COVID-19, it's not killing a lot of people. So if you, if you pay attention to the news cycle, what you'll see is a lot of stories of every hospital bed is full. It's taxing all of the current infrastructure. It's out of control. But what does that mean? So if people get COVID-19 and they test positive for it, but they overwhelmingly recover, then why are we getting bent out of shape about the fact that people who are healthy are getting it, recovering, getting the antibodies and the natural immunization to the virus, and that they're not dying? So why would that require a knee-jerk reaction? Well, the problem is, we're too vested. We've invested too much in organizations and big pharma and, and uh, corporations. Even the mask industry is a multi-billion dollar business now, like selling masks. You can go into any drugstore or any, uh, any store in the airport in any place in the country and buy masks off the, off the shelf. I know this because I've had to do it. So it's a business. 
It's like it's the similar thinking behind 9-11. So on 9-11, 19 hijackers hijacked four different planes. There was actually speculation there was a 20th hijacker, but 19, based on a very deliberate and organized plan, smuggle in box cutters into uh, through cleaning the aircraft, tape them under seats so that the terrorists have box cutters on the plane in order to enact their plan of terror. And there was speculation that, oh, maybe these guys had explosives. There was no explosives. They made the threat that there was, but there was none. What they did have was box cutters. So what happens? The TSA, the Transportation Safety Agency, evolves. And for somebody who flies once a week, once every other week, you deal with the TSA. And now it's a part of everyday life. So do you feel violated when you have to take off your shoes, have to get searched in front of the public with the back of their hand across your crotch? You're pulled into secondary and you're strip searched naked, which I've had to do before. How does that feel as an American with wanting to be free? Well, now we've accepted that. I mean, I've gotten pins confiscated because they look like weapons. I'm like, that's a pin. Like, like I write with that pin. Well, it looks pretty rigid, like it could be a weapon. Yeah, but it, it looks like it could be a, a, a nuclear bomb, but it's a pin. So what happens typically in governance when government wants to control something in your life is they start to do that one step at a time. It's like the idea of the boiling water with a frog where you just increase the temperature by one degree before you know it, you're in a, a vat of boiling water and you're dead. But you don't notice the increase in temperature because it's over time. Take that analogy and apply freedom to that. You start to make, um, by the way, a rotation of human beings who are fatally flawed <laughs> since birth in a bureaucratic system, which is to the highest bidder, by the way, who have corporate affiliations, lobbyist affiliations, who've bought votes or in positions of power for a short period of time cycle-wise. Uh, specifically talking about the, the presidential or the executive branch of our country. Four-year stints. So now we're enacting a law. We're following the letter of that law. And then every four years, it gets rotated out. I dealt with this in the military. If you were an enlisted member of the U.S. Armed Forces, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have a new platoon sergeant, a new platoon leader who comes in and reinvents the wheel. Because why? I mean, specifically why they want to have an, uh, a specific block on their officer evaluation report or their non-commissioned officer evaluation report that gives them the credit for some new thing. So you think that's different in government? No, it's not. It's the same. So you'll have a government administration come in and they go, we could do this better than the last. And they reinvent the will. All the programs that had continuity that were doing so well, well, those were Republican. But we're Democrats. We don't need that Republican policy. We need to get rid of that program. So they, they just 
reinitiate the system by dissolving all the programs that exist, standing up their own programs that will fade in another four-year cycle. If they're lucky, it's an eight-year cycle. So you have a president who comes into power and he looks at the Afghanistan situation and he goes, oh, I could fix this. Let's just unplug. No recourse, no understanding uh, strategically, um, not listening to his intel community because I know the intelligence community would never advise him to do what he did. Not listening to the generals because the generals had a different plan. They actually removed the plan from the military, the NEO, the non-combatant evacuation, um, and handed it over to State Department. The State Department can barely wake up every day and do their job, let alone lead a strategic withdrawal from a country after a 20-year occupation. So we are looking at giving away pieces of freedom one day at a time. I talked to Evan Hafer about this from Black Rifle Coffee, a good friend of mine. Actually, hold on one second. I'm drinking one right now. Espresso 300. You want it to get jacked up. Drink that are ready to drink. Espresso 300. It's a triple shot of Colombian coffee. But it's natural caffeine. I, uh, I talked to him, and he's got 600 employees. What do you do with a mandate that says you will have to do this? Well, man, I don't, that's a tough position to be in, right? I know what I'm going to do. Nothing. Look, my employees' lives, their personal lives, are none of my business. That's number one. Most significantly, their medical background and history is even less of my business. So Danny, um, the guy who works the retail, Danny's a veteran. He has a service dog, a Belgian Malinois. Do I need to go in and go, hey, man, what, why do you have this dog here? It's a service dog. It has a vest. It has identification. It's used for a physical disability, and he has the dog. So is it my position that I would go in and go, hey, man, we need to talk about your dog? Would I do that with a wheelchair-bound employee who comes in, who rolls in, and I go, hey, what's the wheelchair about? No. One, that's insulting, but two, it's none of my damn business. So when it comes to immunization, it is not... It should never be a mandate. The, the idea of this country from the founding father's perspective was one, never give the central government enough power to be able to oppress tyrannically its own people. That's what happened with the, the British monarchy, right? You have a central power in government that's so powerful, it's able to do whatever it wants. Look at Australia right now. In Australia, you have police officers, police officers, police officers enforcing laws from people stepping outside of their home to get fresh air. I mean, can you even fathom that? Can you even fathom the idea that the local municipalities of police officers in your city or your county would be doing roving patrols, tracking cell phones? looking for people outside of their home, getting fresh air. Because the law says they have to be inside and they can't be outside because we need to, we need to flatten the curve. What? It's more dangerous statistically for the police to be driving to that location. They're more in danger of getting in an accident and dying than they are from the COVID virus and dying. So we look at our school children, the future of our country. 
if we look at the statistics of mental health crisis, suicide, and the adolescence, uh, uh, adolescence of life, and then the crime statistics that could be linked and correlated to all of that social discourse, where are we at? I mean, the idea that you as a parent would allow your child to go to a school that mandates a mask where the overwhelming majority of their ability to communicate peer-to-peer isn't possible because they can't even read facial expression and body language. Can you imagine being a child muffled, your voice and your personality and all the great things that make school what it is, incapable because they're muffled by a mask? I mean, if you look at the statistics of children dying from COVID-19, it is literally non-existent. Yet we're mandating this for our children because we would rather them grow up in depression, anxious, suicidal, than actually stand up to fight for our rights. Because you do realize these are our, our rights, right? You do realize the vote that you gave in our democracy for that politician who's representing you, can be swayed. Their policy is not definitive. They are not a king, a dictator. They're acting like it, but they're not. Representatives represent constituents and people in their districts. And if they're not representing you the right way, you need to let them know. What I told people uh, when asked, they said, hey, hey, how can I make a difference? What do I need to do? And I said, email your congressman. E- email the congressman that represents your district in your state and have them start advocating for you from your home. A lot of people don't even know how to communicate with the politicians. They, they, they work for you. The president of the United States doesn't work for the, the system. He works for you. And we're not doing enough communication. Why? Mostly because people don't want to be involved. Mostly because people are too lazy. Mostly because people don't care. But how much are you going to care when the local sheriff or the local uh, city chief of police in your area is enforcing frivolous lies and laws that go against your constitutional rights? Because that's what's next. So what do I want? I want people to be responsible for voting in the right people. I want less government. I know what my left, left and right limits are. It's called law and order. I don't want to be micromanaged by the government, specifically my life. The central government in Washington, D.C. should not be dictating a town in Montana and how they should run their schools and their systems, specifically when it comes to mandating anything for their children at all, period. And if they are, that's what communism is. Why I'm not surprised that the American current presidential administration is in bed with the Chinese. August 31st, we pull out all forces, all diplomats out of Afghanistan. And then we see the Chinese do a deal for billions of dollars September 1st. I'm actually going to find this specifically. Chinese deal, and I'm saying this out loud because you could look it up as well. And this is real life. This is really happening. Here's an article from the New York Times. China offers the Taliban a warm welcome while urging peace talks. Worried about the war in Afghanistan, China has stepped up diplomatic efforts with the government and the group to encourage political settlement after the U.S. withdrawal. 
let, let me, let me uh, just educate you on the Taliban. They're terrorists. They're terrorists. Not only are they terrorists, but they don't believe in human rights. They don't believe in women's rights. They believe in a sex traffic trade. They believe in Sharia law, oppressing gays, women, everybody. China offered a high-profile public stage of the Taliban on Wednesday, declaring that the group, rapidly retaking large parts of Afghanistan, would play an important role in the process of peaceful re- reconciliation and reconstruction. They did two days of talks with the delegation of Taliban leaders in Tianjin, a coastal city in northeastern China. They hosted them. That would be like the President of the United States hosting ISIS in northern Virginia. Okay, so they raised the group's international uh, stature after steady military gains. China's foreign minister, Wang Yi, called the Taliban a pivotal military and political force. A pivotal military and political force. A, also a force of the destruction of human life. That, that should be added to that. But urged the leaders to hold the high banner of peace talks. So he says the Taliban have been on a regional diplomatic blitz over the last month, visiting Tehran, Moscow, and Turkmenistan. So they're in bed with the Russians. They're in bed with the Ir- Iranians. And they're in bed with the Chinese. And we gave up Afghanistan, our foothold in the region. So now they're in bed with the Russians, the Iranians, and the Chinese. Um, Chinese officials have met with the Taliban convoys before, including a meeting in Beijing in 2019, but not at such a high level. Oh, a, a State Department representative, by the way, said it wasn't a... It wasn't Barnett Rubin, a former State Department official and United States advisor on Afghanistan, who was a senior fellow at New York City's or at New York's uh, University Center, said the meeting in China was not a show of support for the Taliban, but for a peaceful end to the war. Sure, when you're hosting terrorists in your country, talking about reconstruction in air quotes, that's not that's not supporting them. That's that's we're just talking about a drawdown. They're not supporting them at all. Yeah, and that's coming from a, a State Department representative. All right, let's put um, Taliban and Chinese deal. I, like, I love the headlines of these. China will be very careful, in quotations, dealing with the Taliban government, former U.S. ambassador says, very careful. How will China seek to profit from Taliban's takeover in Afghanistan? Over time, China would, become, uh, would, would welcome opportunities to benefit from Afghanistan's rich mineral deposits and incorporate Afghanistan into its Belt and Road Initiative, but it's likely learned, has learned from America's experience that even modest expectations of Afghanistan must be tempered. Look, if, if you are living under a rock, then you would not care about anything that I'm talking about. Um, but the, the Chinese have absolute power and control in our country. There's a reason why Biden won't openly talk about human rights violations, like the Chinese, I don't know, going into Hong Kong, um, violating human rights, using children for labor, putting Muslims in, uh, in, in, in camps. I mean, there's a reason why that won't be done. There's a reason why NBA players and professional athletes won't ever say anything bad about China, despite them violating people's human rights, because they're all owned by them. They're all owned by them. I encourage you to go into your own closet and look at the clothes and the shoes and the products and everything that you use and wear and where you stand with this. I get it. I run a business, so I get it. But what I don't understand is our complete 
and utter complacency and just turning a blind eye to everything that's happening. Well, Mike, what, what would we do? I outlined it before and I'll say it again. Become very good at being self-reliant, cutting the umbilical cord. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at looms right now because I want to be able to make my own clothes. That's the direction I'm going. Why? Well, why not? I would venture to say. If you want to be in a you know, 750 square foot bungalow with a thousand people above you and, and hundreds of floors in the middle of a metropolitan area, that, that's on you. That's, a, that's an option for you. You could do that. I want nothing to do with that. I want a rural life. I want freedom. I want to live my life under my own supervision. And I don't want anybody micromanaging me from afar, from a, from a cubicle in the Capitol building. I don't want that. Uh, there's a lot of things that are happening right now. And we got three and a half more years of it, people. What are we going to do? I, I tell you right now, you better start thinking about being self-reliant. That's what you can do right now. Another thing you could do is if you looked at the Gavin Newsom race, California is meeting every single gate at being the worst at everything. Crime, homelessness. There's nothing that, that California is doing right right now. Yet you had a recall election for a governor who can't even abide by his own laws and regulations. And yet the California people have spoke. They're okay with that. Yet you can't, there's, there's talk about corruption and sabotage and lies and, and uh, errors. I get it, but you can't, you can't make up the fact that only 2 million people out of 30 plus million people came out to vote for the recall and more people came out to vote no for the recall. So where are all those people? I don't know, probably complaining on social media, probably tweeting it about it, but why weren't you in the, in the poll uh, or, or the booth voting the right way? It's because you don't care. And that's what we're ending up being. And, and if you do care, here's what, I, here's what I recommend. Breaking contact from that state that owns you, that isn't going to get any better. You think California is going to get better? Never. It's only going to get worse. Leave and get to a state where you could depend on the freedom of the governance of that state staying intact. That's why I'm in Utah. I encourage anybody and everybody to start looking at the demographic and start analyzing the best place to raise and plant your flag. Utah is one of them. Do I want to push more people to Utah? I don't mind because I want freedom-loving people here. Everybody else who doesn't want freedom, you're free to go to California. I train in California. I train law enforcement in California. It's insanity there right now. I can't even fathom the fact that anybody would want to raise their family or grow in California with the corrupt uh, corporate taxes, with the homelessness, with the complete disregard for law and order, the fires even because the mismanagement of e even the forest of, of California. It is insanity. But they'll blame it on global warming. They'll blame it on criminals, they'll blame it on COVID-19, but they'll take no responsibility in governance. I didn't see that state falling apart when Ronald Reagan was running it. Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Utah, Texas, Florida. There's not many places left. What I see is, it, is there being a line drawn in the sand and saying, hey, we're, we're a state and we're going to stay free 
and we're not going to take any command or control from the central government. Yeah, you can cut us off from tax benefits, from uh, subsidies, from all of these things, but we'll survive on our own. You'll see a gate, a fence put up around Texas because they're going to insulate their own country, essentially. They got like one of the largest GDPs in the world. They don't need the federal government. I don't need the federal government personally in my life. You can keep my 100% service-connected disability stipend and apply it to something else. I don't want your money. I did my service and obligation. Now I just want to live in peace. I want to run my business, and I don't want your interference. And it's likely that that's not going to change. That's going to get worse. And then we just got to flex. We got to adapt. A lot of people have asked me, well, Mike, we're going to have a civil war. Like, if, like, you don't know how it works. That's not how this works. You're not going to be fighting a civil war. That's why I thought the Capitol Hill thing was a bunch of dumbasses that didn't understand how this works. What are you going to do? Storm the Capitol building and do what? Occupy the building and then do what? If you want the best chance of success in this country, grind. Wake up, do your job, start a business, raise your family, raise your kids, play baseball, throw, your base, throw baseballs with your kids in your front yard. That's how you do it. You take all the afforded opportunities, which is many, more than any place in the world, and then you grind. Like Evan says, I'm a capitalist. I'm here to make money. But making money allows me to do everything philanthropic that I want to do. Help veterans, help people. Get people out of Afghanistan while the government screwed it up. That's what you could do. Stop focusing on social and the news cycle and the government and start focusing on your home, on your spouse, on your kids, on your family, on your friends, on your community, and build that out. If we had more people focusing on building out their own backyard, then we'd be in a better position in the first place. You don't need anything from the central government. And I encourage you to start waning yourself, period. Cut the umbilical cord. All right, guys, till next time. Peace out. Peace.